Good afternoon, and welcome to our latest episode of Engagement Experts 101. This is our live podcast where we cover a variety of people topics and emerging HR trends. My name is Steven Huerta, and I will be your host today. I'm really excited about our topic and guests. I've spent vast majority of my career in HR technology, and I've always had an affinity for people analytics. As we head into the second half of the year, people challenges seem to be lurking around every corner. For the last couple of years, we've already been dealing with the largest period of attrition and turnover in the modern era. Not to mention, companies are now also struggling with things like salary compression, remote and hybrid working, manager effectiveness issues, and now what appears to be a bear market and potential recession. And so, it should be no surprise that experienced HR leaders have never been in greater demand. Even with all of these challenges, many organizations have not changed their approach and to making people decisions. And even though there's so much change in the world and in the workplace, uh, companies are still, still relying on the same old techniques. In, in a time where data is being relied on in so many aspects of business, in the people space, we continue to rely on things like hunches and instincts. So if you've spent any time in HR, you can understand why over the years it's been a struggle to shift to a data-driven approach to the people function. Data integrity and data privacy issues, privacy issues alone have provided major obstacles to creating a people analytics function. However, over the last several years, there have been significant improvements in the work tech stack with, that have made things a lot easier to create a scalable program. Helping your company understand the differences between reporting analytics, though, can still be a massive challenge in positioning yourself to be a strategic function rather than an administrative team can be difficult. But with the right strategy and approach, it's never been easier to take a data-driven approach to human resources. And this is what we'll be digging into today. Before we jump into the conversation, I want to remind you all of a few housekeeping items. Uh, we'll kick off the sec session with a quick poll that will allow you to provide some input into the conversation. From there, we're going to have a short 20, 30-minute conversation with our guests, whom I'll introduce shortly. Then we'll tee up an Ask Me Anything section, which will allow you to ask questions directly to today's speaker, Adrian. Uh, and as always, this discussion is for you. So please drop in questions into our Zoom Q&A functionality at any point in time. With that said, let's get started. My colleague, Oksana, will be launching a quick poll. So please share your feedback. We're going to come back to that later in our conversation. Right now, I'm really excited to introduce our guest today, who is a good friend and former client. So thrilled to have you. Welcome, Adrian Bettis. How are you doing Hi. today? Uh, doing well. Thanks for, for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's a little hot in Texas, but other than that, things are uh, things are fantastic. So before we jump into the conversation, I like to just start with uh, getting to know our, our guests. And so what's your story? Tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and your career journey that led you to, to be the senior manager of uh, people analytics at GitLab. Yeah. So um, again, happy to be here today. So excited for the conversation. So thanks for having me. Um, for me, uh, I always kind of had an affinity towards math when I was growing up. And so when I was an undergraduate degree, I was studying math, didn't know what I wanted to do with that. Then I found out about statistical um, statisticians and what, what they do with statistical analysis. Uh, the appealing thing to me was I didn't know what I wanted to do, but statisticians can kind of do a lot of different things because you kind of need data analysis and almost everything. And at that point, data was really being, uh, um, you know, kind of embedded in everything we do in our lives. So I felt that was a good path for me. Uh, I was initially going to go into biostatistics to try and help people with their lives in clinical trials and so forth. Uh, didn't work out. And I found my way in business, did some marketing and market research, um, helped the, with um, the health space. Um, and then I got this opportunity to join at my previous organization as an analytics advisor, uh, HR analytics advisor. And what I liked about it is it kind of appealed to my idea of wanting to help folks because now I'm using data to really try to impact people's lives with their work but I still get to do my statistical work and use my expertise. So I've been able to kind of, the way it's been described to me before, and I use it to describe is I've been able to plan other people's backgrounds or their sandboxes without ever having to really understand everything about what they do. 
and it's the same thing. I'm no HR expert here. Like I, I've learned a lot about HR over the years since I've been working in this and what was probably appropriate, not appropriate, but I, I have uh, some experience and expertise in data analytics. I like to apply that to be able to impact folks' lives. So it's been kind of a nice set for being able to work in people analytics based off my interests and my skills. So you've been in the statistics analytics game for, for more than six years now. What do you think has changed the most over this period? Yeah, so, so in people analytics specifically, um, I think it's just become more, uh, people become more aware of it. When I first started and I'd Google people analytics, I could find, find maybe a few articles about it. I had no idea what it was when I joined. I didn't know of any organization I'd been a part of that had something like this before. And I was always involved with like the data analytics folks. So if they were there, they weren't embedded in the broader data strategy for an organization. Um, now you can find information everywhere, right? There are lots of tools being built like crazy for it as well, which is kind of exciting, but it's a little bit, how do you get your head around that? There's a different dashboarding tool every six months to a year, you see that's supposed to help answer all your people analytics questions. Um, but for me, I think the biggest thing is seeing it incorporated in the broader data strategy. Uh, that was a lot of the work that I did over the past six years to try and make sure we were connected with other data analysts um, and strategy in the organization. And that's kind of continuing now while I'm at GitLab. And in the work that you've done, what has been the, you know, the number one challenge that, that you face? And I know we're going to dig into the, to, you know, all the challenges that you, you yeah. typically encounter, but, you know, what's been the one thing that, that's been the, the largest obstacle uh, to overcome in your experience? I think it's because since I started working in this field six years ago, when a lot of people in HR didn't understand what was the need for this, right? They had compensation analysts, they had HRIS building reports for them. They're like, what's the point of this? Was getting people to uh, reach out and come to me with enough time to be able to help answer their questions. It was oftentimes it was after the fact something was done or they have this jumbled data that doesn't really, you can't make sense of it because it wasn't collected properly and they ask you for help, and there's really not much you can do then, right? And there's like a saying for statisticians that if you come to a statistician after an experiment or after work is done to help them help you analyze it, all they can do is be like, you know, a mortician and tell you what it died of, what your experiment died of, as opposed to help you figure out how to make it successful. So that's definitely been the biggest challenge. Now, what I've seen change again over the, over the time, my, my time doing this is folks are starting to come to me and my teams more, more, uh, with more time to be able to plan and relying on me to say, well, you tell me how this should be looking. You tell me what I should do, or you tell me what I should know from this report or this chart. What's the interesting piece here? That's a huge game changer. So getting that credibility has been really tough over time, but not just for me, I think for the field, right? Unless you're at a progressive organization that is really prioritizing this work, it was, it's hard to get people to kind of buy into what you're doing and that it's impacting things. Well, like I said in the intro, I've been bought in for for years and years, and it's just been so exciting to see uh, this space, people analytics, get, gain in credibility and gain the um, attention that it deserves. And so, I, you know, the fact that you're seeing a, a shift to a more proactive approach is uh, is even more encouraging because yeah. I, I think we've all been on the the wrong end of a last minute data or reporting requests. And there's nothing worse than having, you know, deadlines, you know, 24 hour deadline for your executive team to get some report that doesn't even make sense uh, to yeah. generate out. And so I'm looking forward to, to talking about this topic in a little more detail. Um, but with that said, I think we can take a look at the quick poll results before we shift into the conversation. All right. So Xana, can you please stop and share the results? So we're looking at, um, at your responses. Uh, and I'm just curious, you know, Adrian, as we look at this, so, you know, it, it seems pretty spread out in terms of, you know, whether or not our audience uh, members, you know, their companies have a people analytics team. This started off strong with, I saw a couple of agrees, but, um, but it seems uh, to be, you know, almost a perfect distribution across all the options with, you know, near, neither agree nor disagree. And what, what do you think is meant by that? What do you take from that, that response? Yeah. So in this first question, I think looking at this, the neither agree, disagree sounds like maybe they're not sure. 
So that would maybe uh, kind of lean into the, I know, I, I don't think we have a functioning team right now. I could be incorrect, right? Well, yeah, but or, or, or maybe maybe we were getting requests for reports, <laughs> yeah. um, like like we're going to talk about a little later. And so we are we are getting requests for reports and analytics, and we're we're you know providing those deliverables, but we don't necessarily have a team, True. Uh, possibly. Yeah. So, so I think that yeah. So maybe a little bit of confusion around like who maybe should be responsible for what things, right, that are coming their way. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm I think this isn't super surprising to me though to kind of see it spread. There are some folks that it's very clear who to go to. There's a function around that, and it's promoted. And there are other areas where maybe not so much, right? They just don't know about the function, and they're kind of doing it ad hoc. Most organizations are taking a data-driven approach to people's decisions. That that's great to see. I, I was a little surprised. I thought there would be a little more neither agree nor disagree or, or disagree, but um, but I think that makes sense. You know, I think at least the intention is that we're going to make decisions based on data. How that actually plays out in in reality doesn't always align well, and I think some of these the latter questions um, may point to that as well. So as we can see, my company has clearly defined people, HR team objectives and goals. This one does not surprise me. I, uh, this yeah. is where I think we can see you know, the disagree and strongly disagree. Um, you know, has that been your experience that the HR team goals may not be as well defined as, as the company-wide goals? Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I think that's what's always kind of made it tough for me to figure out where do I work and like which stakeholders do I prioritize? Who do I work with more often is because the work seems kind of a lot of time you have overlap. There's three groups doing something, something very similar and they're not communicating. So having that central kind of OKR methodology of this is what we're trying to accomplish as an organization and then it's how it tears down to the other, company, uh, other uh, functions within the organization. Uh, is not, I think, something that's well-practiced, particularly with HR in my experience. But even other organizations, I'm not trying to pick on HR because even when I was part of market research, it was kind of like I was doing something that three other analysts were doing at the same time. We were just doing slightly different things, and that was not a good thing. <laughs> I've been there as well. Yeah. Uh, and so then the last question, we meet our business request for HR data and analytics in a timely manner. So this is, uh, this is more skewed to, to agree, and you know, which tells me, okay, we have – our audience members don't necessarily have a team to a dedicated team that is, you know, scoping these requests out and satisfying them. So my, you know, what may be going on here is like the requests are still there. And so teams are probably scrambling to kind of meet these requests, not having, you know, the team and resources that, uh, that you would probably want to see in place. So this, this doesn't surprise me either, but um, I think it all lines up well with, you know, why we wanted to have this conversation with you, Adrian, in that, you know, it seems like there's still an opportunity for organizations to kind of formalize this function. So I, um, everything here makes, makes complete sense to me. I'm looking forward to, um, to moving into the conversation. Are you ready to do this? Yeah, ready to go. All right, let's go. My first question for you, Adrian. So, you know, when is the right time, is there a right time to launch a people analytics function? Yeah, so when I first started um, with this, this work, I was trying to kind of answer that question. And I actually came across a really cool article on LinkedIn that somebody was talking about their small organization. I think she was like a one-person HR team. And she was doing pretty much everything. It was a small startup. But one of the things they wanted to understand was their applicant pool. So she downloaded their data off the ATS, put it in an Excel work, uh, workbook, and she started messing around with it and creating charts. And she got some really great, interesting insights. Um, and there's really nobody there doing that, right? If you don't have somebody saying, this is going to be my job to do this. Um, or if you have someone on the talent acquisition team hired specifically to kind of get those metrics for you. So you don't have to wait. There's plenty of data out there, even if you're a very small organization and you don't need some fancy tool either. And I think that really kind of helped me uh, figure, realize, okay, I'm going to have to iterate on this. I'm going to have to rebuild a lot of things. Uh, I'm going to have to just kind of get in there and get messy with whatever I got available to me because I was used to kind of having these endless supplies of tools. I was working for huge corporations that invested heavily. And I went to a team where they had, I mean, they had no one to support me from any kind of analytics or technology support. So, and we had very little budget. So I tried to do everything as cheap as I could. Um, and then that slowly changed. But if I had kept waiting for the right tools, I think I would have really just put myself uh, in a bad situation. 
Uh, and even now, uh, like let's say you're making a transition to a, a new tool, you're going to make a transition to a new HRS or a new ATS, or you're waiting for a new BI tool or something at your organization, waiting shouldn't be what you do, right? Um, because if you keep waiting for when that change happens, you're just kind of putting all your work on hold. You want to get as many wins out there as possible and get people to see summarized data so they can stop making kind of intuition judgments or gut, gut, gut decisions and judgments based off anecdotes. So, no real my, like specific time. Yeah, and I, I love the the comment that you you should not wait on the new tool or the new HRIS or the new ATS. Like those, in my experience, those projects are huge in scope and are notorious for delays, yeah. rescoping, you know, pushing things back to later phases and. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, you know, you know, getting started with, you know, a reasonable set of tools is, is a smart way of looking at it. And so, you know, in your experience, you've done this a few times now. And so where, where do you believe is the right place to start in terms of, you know, the process of creating a new function called people analytics? Yeah. So, um, it's not the fun part, but I always tell people it has to be the data first because you can report on numbers that are in your HRIS or are coming out of some other system from your HRIS or your ATS or your, your engagement survey platform, whatever it might be. If you don't have trust in that data or there are some serious gaps in how that data is, is being gathered and collected, uh, you're going to have wrong analysis, basically. And I don't like to say wrong analysis, but you're just analyzing data that's not giving you an accurate representation of reality. Um, that can lead to making poor decisions. That can lead to uh, a lot of confusion. It's like people say, well, I know this isn't happening, but you're telling me my data is saying that's happening. And if that is a question in their mind, they're going to question you and your team and what you're providing them, even though it might not be you, it would be the data underlying. So the unique thing about HR data is it's typically uh, human enter transactions. If I'm looking at sales data, um, like I used to work for a retailer, they have the sales transaction data kind of captured every time you scan a SKU code, right? Or if you're dealing with supply chain, you have a lot of uh, machines along the way taking gathering data. So you have some, um, it's still transactional, but it's not human entered. Whereas oftentimes they're either administ uh, executive assistants, admins, HR business partners, HR associates who are entering in this information. And if there's not good governance and training on how they're entering it, you could have it entered various different ways, in which case it cannot be used for some aggregate analysis. So trying to understand where the data is being entered, um, how it's being cleaned, and what each piece means is very critical. So it's not fun. It takes a lot of time getting your hands dirty with the data. Uh, but absolutely crucial because you'd want that for later on in your strategy if you're going to try and um, you know build an ETL process with your data team to get this in some sort of data data warehouse somewhere so you can have uh, analysts come in and write functions around it or whatever they need to do. You have to trust the data and understand where its its its, uh, it's uh, gaps are. And the second piece would be building relationships, right? I think as I first started my, when I first started working at my last org. Uh, I didn't really know who to talk to. I didn't know who to get in with and who to kind of try to convince and who to work with. Um, understanding your organization's OKRs, as we already noticed, that's not really easily to do, but trying to understand at least a level up, what are we trying to accomplish will help you figure out how to prioritize your work a little bit, but also to figure out who to start making connections with. And this would give you some insight of like, listen, right now the focus for the company is turnover. Or right now we're really trying to build out some good learning development programs, or we're really trying to focus on hiring. That'll tell you, okay, I go to learning and development management team and try to understand what are their goals? What are they trying to build? How can I help assist them with experimental design or whatever it might be? Or how do I just get them reports so they can understand who's taking what courses at the very least, right? Um, if it's retention, I go to my talent acquisition leader and I start talking to them about what are your goals? Do you have certain numbers or quotas you're trying to hit? Do you have certain areas that you're trying to, to um, you know, hire for, but you're struggling? And what are the things you're seeing? And they might tell you, yeah, we're seeing a lot of offers being rejected lately in our engineering department or whatever it might be. That's something that you can go as a data analyst, go and pull the aggregate information and see, is that really what, what's happening here? Why might that be happening? Give them some other clues so they can take that when they're building up their initiatives and their plans, right? But you have to have those relationships and let them know that you're there to help and support. But if you're trying to just kind of help anyone who asks, it might be some really small tasks that, you know, people um, don't understand the kind of, uh, of work that you can provide if you're not working with folks that have really meaningful 
pressing, uh, uh, pressing things to work on. So, yeah. And on the second point, I, I would imagine that having a, the backing of, you know, whether it's the head of people operations or, you know, the chief people officer, but having, you know, a, a very intentional kind of rollout plan or communication strategy would help with building those relationships with stakeholders, i.e., this shouldn't just be important to the HR team. This should be an important step for the entire company. Now, the rest of the company may not really realize how important it is, but I, I feel like that's really, you know, the HR leadership team's job to, yeah. to reinforce, you know, the, uh, the importance of this. Yeah, 100% agree on that. And so, okay, so now, you know, we, we've, we've talked a little bit about data, um, but we, sent, we at least have a sense for, you know, the critical issues that we have in our data. We may have addressed those or at least acknowledge like, hey, you know, some of this data is not as clean. So, you know, we shouldn't be focusing in this area of the, the data architecture. We should be focusing on, on these other things. We also now have stakeholders that are aware of, you know, why we're creating a people analytics team, the, the value to the business, and uh, we're engaging in, com in communications with, with the various departments. Um, you know, what are some of the challenges, like once we've got the commitment and we've got, we're, we're rolling things out, what are some of the kind of next level challenges that, uh, that you might experience? Yeah, so I think um, even if you're already in a large organization, um, scale might be where you're thinking immediately, but just because your team might not even be big enough to do, to do scalable operations, you might not be working in that capacity. So as you get the commitment and you get the buy-in, you have to think kind of in tandem of how am I going to be able to get things to people as they need them now? It may be very ad hoc. Someone comes and asks for a request like, hey, I need to know for the quarter, what was my retention rate? How many hires did we make? And you might not have a dashboard that's ready to go for that. So you have to pull data from various sources and, and merge it in an Excel sheet and build out something. And maybe you use some like Tableau or Power BI or, or one of those tools and you build a dashboard on top of it. But it took you like a day and a half to get all your data cleaned up and organized. The next month they come and ask you that or worse, what happens is someone else sees that and they have a completely different organization. Like you did one for engineering and now you have one for like the people team. They're like, can you build that same thing for me? And it's like, well, I have <laughs> thousands of people on this group and I have like 15 people in this group. It's not going to look the same. I can't just rinse and repeat, but I also have to go pull my data separately. Right. So how do you try and scale that information and scale that? And thinking about that in the long is really important. And that's, that's kind of hard to do because you can't do that alone. Um, a lot of organizations have these data engineering teams or core data teams that are responsible for this work. So making those connections and relationships with them to make sure they know what you're trying to accomplish, what's being asked of you, and you can kind of rinse and repeat some of the things they've done for other parts of the business. Because there's for sure, if they've done this, they've done it for the profit-making side of the business. So they're going to be able to kind of rinse and repeat some of those things for you because, it, you know, people analytics doesn't come top priority often at organizations. So working with them to figure out, listen, I did all this work. I pulled this from here, here, here. I organized in this way just to get my dashboard looking exactly how I want it. Now I need a way to operationalize all that backend stuff. And that's where your real scalability comes to play. Because once you have strong, good data models in the backend that have your data speaking to each other, you can hire analysts who can come in and do all sorts of cool things with it. But ad hoc changes and requests are all going to be built off that. It creates one single source of truth. And it also makes it really easy for you just to kind of go hit refresh, right? So if you go to these cool dashboards in your company, you might have them for other tools, maybe not people. You go and you hit a refresh button. It'll show you, well, what were sales as of yesterday or what were sales as of last hour or something of that sort. Whereas um, if you're doing an Excel, it's not so easy to do that. And in Excel, it's tricky too, because if you accidentally copy and paste over something, the whole thing could be broken, right? So you want to have it in a little more secure format. So that's definitely where you're going to want to focus on. But scaling is definitely um, probably the next biggest challenge you're going to have because it never stops either. Your company continues to grow or the work you're doing grows and the, the, the things you're trying to accomplish. And that's where machine learning and um, these different algorithms are being used to try and do this at scale and trying to kind of uh, make sure you can, you can work on a lean team. But if you're thinking about that along the way as you're building this team uh, or you're building your function, and you're connecting with the right people on your data team, you should be in a good spot to be able to kind of scale some of the work you've done. 
So, so if I understand this correctly, the good news is there's a lot of tools now that can help you start to gain traction and taking advantage of low hanging fruit just on your own, just, you know, within uh, the people analytics team might be one person, maybe two, um, but you can start the process of building out a function, building out, you know, some dashboards, but in order to scale, the bad news is you're going to need, you, you're going to need some help. And, uh -huh. and there's, there will be a point at which you're going to need to bring some other folks from the organization, from the, you know, your IT department, maybe, you know, there is a, a broader, um, a broader analytics function, um, that you can pull some, some team members from to help you with addressing this scale problem. Is that right? Yeah. And, and what I'll, I'll add to that too, is every leader I've had has very little understanding of the data conversations I'm having with my counterpart on like the data team. They just, it's not their expertise. Honestly, I don't think people find it interesting to say, yeah, so I talked <laughs> about this table being built and I moved this field over here and we clear up this really technical issue. So I honestly don't talk about it much with them. I kind of break and like glaze over it and say like, well, or breeze over it and tell them this is, you know, who I'm also talking to. We're working on this model that we're going to build should make things easier. And that's kind of the extent that they need to know. However, for me to get my job done, I have to be able to speak very technically to them. I have to be able to roadmap with them. I have to get in their queue on their backlog, whatever it might be. So it might be where if you're doing this and it's kind of your part-time gig or you don't have the expertise and background in, in that, you might want to hire somebody who, who can do that um, because that's probably your next biggest challenge is making sure you get that stuff organized and can communicate with these folks who do work on a very technical nature. And they're they're software, they're, they're engineers. Sometimes they're a lot of more data engineers. They have data analytics backgrounds. I mean, they have all kinds of different backgrounds. So you're going to need someone who can kind of communicate with them and work with them. And that's typically been a big part of my job that goes unseen because they just see the output often, your stakeholders. They don't really see all that goes on and how much work that is, right? But you have to be able to communicate that to some people, to people in some way. It's just, it's not necessarily the, the sexiest work, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I have been there. They're like, Oh, this is so amazing. And they're like, all right, what else can we get? And it's like, right. Do you not realize everything that just went into this, uh, this analysis? And so, you know, one of the things that I, I, I want to talk about is prioritization and prioritization within the HR and people function is always super, super hard, especially in this like post COVID world, because we seem to be taking on more and more issues, more and more responsibilities um, that aren't necessarily in, in, in outlined in our day jobs. But prioritization is particularly important with people analytics. And, and so talk to, talk to me a little bit of why that's the case. Um, so Often people analytics teams are small, right? I mean, you may look at a group like Facebook or Google and realize, man, they have, or LinkedIn, large tech companies have huge people analytics functions, right? Um, and they hire all kinds of data scientists and engineers and so forth as part of the team. So they treat it like any other arm of like that would need analytical support. Most often that's not the case, right? You don't have this, this huge arsenal of people to work with. And so you've got to really plan your time uh, to where's like the biggest bang for my buck. And for me, um, what I've learned is that's based off stakeholder more often than not. If the C-suite is looking for some sort of report because they're going to report out to their board or they have a big meeting coming up, that should probably take priority over the HR analyst uh, um, or HRIS person asking you to help them build a report for something that they can kind of, you know, organize something together with. Not that that's not important as well, but if there's only one of you or two of you and so much of your time, you have to prioritize in some way. So working with the folks that need things for some, for some maybe strategic level thinking will be really helpful because then you can kind of cascade down, right? So then they're going to say, well, this is what we're doing. This is who we talk to to be help us get these numbers. This is what we're going to focus on. Now what I need you to do is go meet with Adrian and his team and talk to them about how we can operationalize this. Now, when you give them that information, it should hopefully prioritize what are we trying to accomplish? What are we going to work on? Where do we need further digging into the data? This is where that OKR conversation comes up. So that's why it's, it's, that's why it's so challenging because as we saw in the poll earlier, right, most people don't have a clear objective or prioritization from their leaders. So to come up with their own is very difficult. You're kind of just, you know, hoping that you're going to do something that's really impactful. People take notice and want more of it. 
Um, so I think for me, pressing my leaders is something I haven't done enough of, of like, what is the priority list here from you? What are you getting from your leader? There's so much you can, only so much you can do the farther, the deeper you're buried into the organization, but really trying to understand at least at your leader's level, what are you trying to accomplish? What can I provide for you? What can I give? The other ones would be uh, people business partners. So almost every organization has a people business partner that pairs with some part of the organization, let's say head of product or head of sales or um, you know, head of manufacturing. And so working with them and building out like what is the challenges that they're asking because they'll come to their people team often and say i need this that's not my job to do it i need you to do it for me those are the ones that those are the conversations you want to be privy to you want to learn about so you can help support those things and then it comes to where now you've got your work and you've got you you got your bandwidth and then you got to be able to say no to people right <laughs> and that's where you're going to have to come back and say um so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so is asking for things. If you can kind of argue to me why your work should prioritize over that, then let me know. But what's really helpful, and this is actually something I've learned at GitLab, is the transparency. If you go to GitLab, I can find like the OKRs for almost any group out there um, in, our, in our GitLab. We all use GitLab for this type of stuff. So I can see what's important to people, and it's kind of expected you put that out there. And it's never like we're, we're, we're kind of it's in our values to be transparent. So if I go to someone and say, can you give me like a list of your priorities so I can help think about how I might be able to support you? They're going to send you a link to what they've already got done and this is going to be ready to go. And if they don't have it, they're going to say, well, can we chat about it real quick? Let's talk and I'll let you know. And you can start getting that information. People are very willing to share that information. Um, and I don't know, this is my first time working for a tech company. I don't know if that's specific to technology. That's what they do. But previous places I've worked, that's not the case. Like it's like pulling teeth, getting people to tell you what they're really working on and focused on. For some reason, it's like a guarded secret. <laughs> and he here we're very transparent about it. And that transparency creates accountability. And so you can hold yourself accountable to things you said you're going to do for folks. You can also be able to easily tell people, I cannot do that because these things are priority. I'm sorry. We're going to have to wait till I get more headcount. We're going to have to wait till this thing is kind of over. Then I can come back and I can go to my day to day. Right. But prioritization is one of, one of the trickiest things that I've, I've had to do. Um, but I think what I'm, what I'm finding, and I, I feel like, again, it could be the tech world, right? But I feel like with a GitLab, the transparency is the real game changer here because everybody can look and see what my, my objectives are, what I'm trying to do and what they're tied to as far as to my leadership team's work too. Without those leadership goals, I don't know how I would do that. I love that. And and I wish all organizations were as transparent as as GitLab. You know, I've had the opportunity to uh to 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 have a conversation with Darren Murph, who's the head mm -hmm. of remote, I believe, at GitLab right. on our sister podcast, uh, the Modern People Leader. And uh it's just amazing, you know, the approach that you guys take. But in my in my experience, organizations are not that transparent. Yeah. And, you know, I agree with the quick poll that is like, you know, no, we haven't, we, we don't have clear goals. And, and even, even if you do have clear goals, then it, it, the next issue is it doesn't seem like we're all aligned around how we're trying to achieve those goals. Mm -hmm. And so how do you know, what, what are some of the, I guess, um, positive signals when things are going right? Like, you know, we've, it's the early days of, of having a people analytics team. Um, how do you know, what are some of the, um, the positives that are pointing that like you're heading down the right direction and things are, are working the way that you want them to work as a people analytics team? Um, I'll say when I stopped getting a lot of ad hoc questions and they flip to, Hey, this thing isn't working the way it used to. <laughs> Cause what I'm trying to do is build tools for people specifically around reporting. I mean, reporting as a statistician and as a, 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 you know, a data analyst, that's like some of the least exciting things to do. And they're very hard to build. People want to see things that are kind of magically giving them insights. And that's super hard to build. And even sometimes they don't give you proper requirements. So you're guessing and it's a lot of iteration. If they tell you, I want to understand, you know, uh, who I want to build a model to predict who might leave in the next six months. I could do that pretty straightforward, actually. It's a lot easier than building a dashboard sometimes. So what I'll say is what, what for me, a measure of success is, is really seeing that they're using those tools. Sometimes you don't have a tool that you can actually show you how often it's being viewed or not. But when people stop asking you these questions, when there's dashboards there. So if I built 10 dashboards and some of it's showing retention over time, a number of hires, uh, headcount over time, and some engagement survey data, 
and I'm getting messages from people asking for that exact information, things aren't going well. They either don't know it's there, they don't know how to use it, it's not intuitive, um, or they just, you know, or maybe they're being lazy, they don't want to look it up. <laughs> but when I stop getting questions, because I tell people, look, it, you can access all, I'll give this to you now, you can access all this in this dashboard. And I stop getting those questions, I thought something's going right. And now when I start getting questions of, this doesn't look right, why are we not at this number or, or um, I'll often get people asking for an average of something. So what's our average tenure? That's great. I can show you average tenure, but if you have a large organization and like where I was previously, we had some people with very long tenure, that average can be skewed quite a bit by people who've been here 40 plus years or something of the sort, right? So you have to have distributions, you have to have additional information in there and providing that with some talking points or going through it with the stakeholder as you build it and telling them what it means what they can glean from that is very helpful for them. But if they come and they look, this average looks weird. I, I can't believe it's so low, should be higher. And then you can go and dig in. That's a better question than them asking you, can you give me my average again next month, even though you'd already given it and put it in a dashboard. So to me, that's a, that's, it, it's kind of potentially a weak barometer of success. But if people stop asking me for things they can get on their own, that means they're using my self-service tools. And then I can start digging into that individually. Like what I'm seeing, a dashboard I built around, let's say, organizational health is being hit a lot every month. Then I can start seeing who's been hitting it and I can go talk to them like, what else is missing? What do you need from it? What are you using it for? What are those conversations? Then I can start helping you analyze this stuff and answer some more detailed questions that kind of come down or double click into a specific issue and help you understand what's going on there. So to yeah, me, that's, yeah. that's a really good indicator of success, less requests, I think, because they're getting it already. Yeah, and, I, and what I also heard in there is the 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 nature of the request is different, and we see this also in in the work we do. So if a company comes to us and says we want to do a you know we really want to do this diversity and inclusion pulse, can you give us your feedback on you know the the survey design and um, and our strategy here? That is very different to. You know, we we want to understand where we may have an opportunity to improve our approach to diversity and inclusion. And here's what we're looking to understand. That is a, you know, one is kind of an administrative kind of tactical request, like, hey, can you give us any feedback? And the other one is like, hey, these are this is what we're looking to accomplish. How do we get there? And I think that second is so much more helpful in providing a solution that is going to drive the results that uh, that your partner is looking for. And so, I, I think that that those are those are great signals. And so, yeah. one thing I'll say to that too, you feel the transition from uh, supporting to um, partnering with them. I think in what you're describing and what I'm trying to what I was trying to describe too is you're just supporting by fulfilling some requests versus actually thinking through a problem with them, which is that's a really good indication of success. So uh, there's a lot of scrutiny right now. A lot of companies are going through budgeting um, for for the next fiscal year. If you're on a calendar year basis for 2023, and you know it feels like, particularly in times where you know we may be going into a recession, you know a lot of companies, especially tech companies and, and industries that are, uh, I guess. Uh, they're going to be easily, you know, they're easily susceptible to, you know, the pressures of, of a recession, you know, every, every dollar is being scrutinized. And so I, I feel like, you know, it would be, uh, it would be remiss for me to not bring up the ROI, you know, question. And so during tough times, as things are being analyzed closely, how have you approached the ROI conversation for, for people analytics with your leaders? Yeah. So, ROI is very tricky and, and hard to kind of get from a, a cost center like people analytics, right? Um, any, any other cost centers around analytics are kind of looking at the profit side. So how much did we make in revenue? How much did we make? How, how many people used that? How many people purchased this product? How many people, whatever, uh, sales. So that's directly tied to profit. So they can see why they need to understand that to make some tweaks to increase profit or to push products that people like or modify the ones that they don't, whatever it might be. When it comes to people analytics, it's a little bit more difficult because there's this longer time span. Somebody, there's not immediate, like if, even if you do a new training program, you don't see immediate rewards on that. It takes a while for behavior to change if it was an effective program for managers, if they were fully bought into it. And so... Um, building out a plan to try to understand these things, it takes time. Um, 
But what we, we, we try to do is try to identify anecdotes that may cause people to jump to action and from there help them understand the nuances, right? So let's say I see a, a drop in applicants um, and we see for a certain month, we saw a drop in applicants. People might freak out. Why are we losing applicants? We need to put more money towards Indeed. We need, and they start thinking of all these things they have to do to increase stuff or, or an increase that seems out of ordinary, but everybody can feel it of terminations. And so then they start saying, well, let's throw more money at people. Let's figure out how we can keep everybody here. So the whole world's on fire. And I, and I feel like I've gotten that kind of reaction from HR typically a lot of times. Like that's just the reaction right away. Everything's on fire. We got to go solve this. And if you can actually kind of zoom out a little bit and spread out the, the, the widen the view, you might be able to prevent people from going and doing a lot of things that are actually kind of like a, a false alarm, right? And I, an example I have is with retention. People were very concerned about retention one time at this, at this organization. And what I did was I looked through some of the information and I built some pretty solid metrics around, can we see if rates are changing? And if they're changing to what degree, how does this compare with where we were a few years ago when there was maybe something similar going on in the market or whatever it might be. And what really, what, what the end result was, was people were freaking out and panicking because numbers were high, but a lot of changes had happened. There had been a lot of growth at the organization. So numbers, raw numbers were higher. You can't make decisions on that because as a percentage of the organization, it made a big difference. And honestly, it's pretty simple and straightforward, but people were not looking at that. They were looking at raw numbers and I didn't understand what they were trying to answer until I'd already given a lot of this information. And that's a learning, a learning lesson for me was I really should have pushed harder up front to find out what are you trying to answer and solve for? Because I could have given them really good information up front that would have put a stop on it sooner. But once people saw that, you just see a sigh of relief like, oh, so things aren't as crazy as we thought. So this whole new initiative we're going to spend, you know, $50,000 on to try and kind of keep people here, get them more engaged, might not be the issue that I'm actually needing to solve for. And that doesn't mean there's something going on, but it could be very specific to a particular group. Maybe managers are leaving, or maybe uh, you're losing a lot of uh, uh, tenured people who have a lot of like, you know, tribal knowledge that you're just losing with the organization. What are some things we can do with that, right? And that becomes more of a company strategy, right? If you think of a technology company, if you're losing people who you're 10 year, you're 10 of your organization, you're losing people who've been here for nine, 10 years. Well, if they don't have proper documentation of everything they've done, it's gone when they go, unless they've shared it with somebody else. So maybe that becomes something you start prioritizing as an organization. And with the people analytics team, you can give that kind of insight, right? So I think that's where the ROI is, kind of preventing people from overreacting to things and not doing all these other additional spends that they would have done because we are cost centers. Um, but then you can look at things that are kind of a little bit more like, well, how much, how much money are we doing cost per hire? How much does it cost per turnover? Things of that sort as well. And if you can help them identify strategies that will reduce that, but you've got good measurement, that kind of shows why you're necessary as well. I love it. So you, you, you essentially tied this back to the the stakeholder conversation that we had earlier and alignment with OKR. So if we know what is important to the company, you know, as we look forward, we can almost use our, the, your own function, people analytics to, to help build the business case. Like we're seeing, you know, a retention problem with our more tenured middle, man middle, middle managers. And as a result, you know, the costs, to, to fill these, these positions um, is very high and the brain drain. So, you know, what we lose in additional to the, the actual, you know, financial costs is, uh, is, is huge. And, and so you start to use that as your business case and aligning, like, what are the, what, what are the imperatives at the company level? And, um, and use that to justify, you know, why you should be investing more in, into your people analytics function. I think that that's a really smart way of, of approaching it. And you, you mentioned retention, you know, this is something like, I can't, I seem to, to not be able to have a, a conversation with a people leader and not have a discussion around retention. Um, you know, I, I feel like there's, you know, an obsession here and, you know, can you share just what you've done specifically in the retention space um, that that could help our audience members? 
Yeah. So, you know, I'm same here. Every conversation I have with anyone, they want to look at retention, right? It can be um, an executive. It can be in an interview for a role. They're like, how would you handle retention, right? Everybody's really keen on it, especially right now with this whole great resignation shifting in the labor market. But now there's uncertainty in the market, as you, as you mentioned beforehand, right? And so I think... Um, for me, the biggest thing about retention that people tend to always get hung up on is but why are they leaving, right? So they want to ask people on an exit interview, well, why are you leaving? And there's some real um, issues with that because I'm having a conversation with somebody. So if you think about it psychologically, if anyone has ever left an organization, you're not sure what you're, you're not 100% sure what you're getting yourself into, but you do know what you're leaving, but it's still a little scary that unknown. So I may not want to sit there and bash the manager I just worked for because who knows if this new thing doesn't work out and I want to come out and come back at some point. And the manager might be the exact reason why I'm leaving, right? So you tend to water down what you're saying when you're leaving. So having an exit survey strategy is great, but I think designing it well to make sure you're giving the people space and comfort to be able to be honest is, is absolutely critical. Because the other thing you might want to do is be able to tie that to other things, right? So it's really important to understand what is is making people satisfied and happy in their work. And that goes to like an employee listening program. So what we've tried to do when designing any of our employee listening is kind of end to end. You have people come in, starting their journey with the organization, they're here for a while and then they leave. And then there are also um, promotions that happen, right? Changes in their career. How are those transitionings transitions working out for you? Um, how important is the leader to your satisfaction of being there? And sometimes a survey in its broadest form, like an engagement survey, doesn't get at the details of what good managers do and what bad managers do. So being able to kind of build a real thoughtful engagement survey and then tying that information to other pieces, right? How did that look to onboarding? Do we have people that are already kind of at a lower than expected satisfaction level with onboarding? That impacts their length to stay, right? Or does that impact their uh, overall engagement with the organization? Do they kind of consistently trend lower? And is that actually a specific group, right? And what we'll want to do is understand what's important so that way you know what to change. But if you don't have that information, you're just left with asking, why are they leaving? And it's surprising how many people I talk to that have, that have said, well, we don't have an exit survey, right? Or they have an exit survey and it ends up being filled with just like open-ended comments. And those are just the worst to go through, right? Like they're just so hard. So you can't just, I mean, it, you got to do something. So you build whatever you got. But I think relying on people who have an understanding and knowledge set about how to build survey questions would be really important because they can help tie your entire survey strategy together, which I think will give you a good idea of how to listen to your employees to kind of get ahead of that retention issue. Because people tend to make the assumption it's money every time and it's not. People tend to make the assumption it's the manager and sometimes it's not. Like sometimes it, it really is, I'm not growing and I can go join X company and I'll be moving up two levels in one jump. Yeah, I'm going to go take that. I love it here, but I'm going to go do that. So then how do you create those paths for people to continue to grow and develop in their roles at your organization? And there might be at a point where you're sometimes like, Listen, these are folks that we're going to just end up leaving. So we have to think about how do we tag and identify people under performance quickly leverage that information to make sure we're keeping them engaged and satisfied and happy with what they want to do. Maybe it's a matter of rotating people around. You can get really creative. Um, but I think uh, you have to know what's bothering them to begin with to be able to do that. Yeah, I think that is all. I have follow-up questions to all of that, and I think that that's all great advice. But we are, you know, the, this hour flies by and we're quickly entering... Oh the the ama section um and so reminder to to the group uh to the audience if you do have questions feel please do drop them into the q a uh feature um the first question i have for you adrian from from the uh the audience uh anonymous uh audience member we have challenges where we provide analytics and reporting to the business but it's not the end result that our stakeholder is looking for this leads to this has led to difficult conversations and follow-up requests. Have you had to have you been in this situation before and how have you handled these requests? So I when they say end results, I think um, I guess that could mean two things. Like they the data, they had a hunch of what it was gonna tell them and it told them something different, 
or they wanted the dashboard to look a certain way and it didn't look the way they wanted, right? So I, I think it's the first point that okay. it's is how I'm reading this question. Yeah, okay, that's what I was thinking too. So um yeah, I've definitely had those issues and, and they're very difficult conversations. Um I think what I always try to do is kind of argue the the opposite side of it, right? Like giving them a different uh, lens. Like, so if there's, if there's something there, so if they're looking for, hey, I really think this is an issue and there's something there, you can tell them, well, yeah, that something is there. Like, let's say, I think people aren't feeling like they're building um, strong enough relationships with their team. I wanna build some sort of program that helps people do that. But when you look at that and you look at maybe engagement data or you look at um, you know productivity data, whatever you might be looking at, you realize that might not be the issue. The issue might be they're confused about prioritization. <laughs> and some people are saying that, but you can give them that information and say, listen, this is kind of small pickings though. If you really wanna have a bigger impact, you're gonna to wanna to go after this broader issue of prioritization. Now, if you've already committed to doing a smaller thing, there's not nothing there, but you're gonna have very low impact. And if you can kind of frame the conversation around what are you trying to accomplish? What's the impact you think you're gonna have by working on this versus this? By all means, you can work on whatever you wanna work on. However, if you were thinking you were gonna see one thing, you see something different, but you're pushing this agenda, you're just not gonna have the impact you want. So you could do one of two things, right? But I think giving them the spectrum of you can work on this. And if there's nothing there, right? Like if they're convinced people uh, want to build better relationships with each other and there's no evidence for it you got to present that and just argue I just have no evidence for you so you're gonna have to make the argument some other way right but I think that's a very difficult conversation to have depending on who you're having it with if it's your direct leader much more difficult than if it's somebody else who doesn't have any impact in your career your growth or anything right um, and that's an organizational issue that I think I have I've always struggled with in my career too so Unfortunately, there's no solid answer, but I like to kind of give them the idea of like, do what you want to do, but you're kind of missing this large opportunity here to have an impact. So you got to show them kind of where the, the meat of the analysis is. Yeah. And I, I would, I would also add like, you know, if you can find the courage to, to also remind the leader that like, Hey, look, the data is actually not saying what you, what you think it should say. And, you know, there's no, there's no evidence that, that supports the way that you're looking at this potential at this at this particular issue. And but to to your point, there there can be politics and a lot of, you know, sensitivities around you know how how you do that. Next question, also anonymous. What are your thoughts on AI and predictive analytics um, for HR HR reporting tools? There are a lot of tools that claim to offer um, you know the the silver bullet. Yeah. Do you agree? Yeah. So I would say I don't agree. A short answer. It's <laughs> it's it's a very um, it, it's a trending thing, right? And and there's a lot of value and there's a lot of uh, um, opportunity with like AI and machine learning. However, you have to have a lot of data in order for those things to be um, you know pr productive. And the thing is, too, you have to have really scrutinized good data. Now, my experience, and I would imagine a lot of folks out there, their data is not that scrutinized. It's not that clean. There's not a lot of governance. There's just traditionally, my experience hasn't been that, that kind of uh, oversight in people analytics data. Um, but if you don't have that data cleaned up going into these models, then who knows what the output's going to be? Because oftentimes they're called like uh, inexplainable models. So they don't really have a easy way to explain what's causing what. It's just kind of, you put a bunch of information in the model figures out a pattern and spits out an answer. It's kind of like a black box. And that's very dangerous with anything, but it's much more, uh, uh, it can have a bigger impact on people's lives if you're dealing with people data. So I tend to not like that stuff. Now, if it's minor things that you're trying to predict what retention might look like, great. If you're trying to predict who's gonna, who's gonna leave and why, that's a little bit more of an issue, right? Because um, it can really lead you astray if your data is not clean going into it. So it can get out of hand pretty quick too, I think, if you're not careful. Yeah, I agree. The other the other thing that I'll add uh, to that answer is it. Um, I have seen a lot of executives call into question the uh, the predictive insights or analytics. And to to Adrian's point, you know, it's it's a black box. So you know, this output is, you know, you receive this output, but there's not an explanation for how you got there. And I've seen so many times um, HR teams, you know, get shot down or get, you know, really backed into a corner 
um, you know, because of, you know, that fact of, you know, it's hard to explain to the leader how, why this tool is concluding that this is by far the most important insight from the data set. And, uh, and that's not a great position to be in. And unfortunately, you know, I, I think the future is bright for AI and predictive analytics um, in the people space, but I don't think we're there yet. I, I agree with you. I think we have some improvements to make. Um, next question, also anonymous. Do you recommend, uh, my, my organization is, uh, is, has approved creating a people analytics function. Um, however, we are still in the early stages of, you know, developing a strategy. Do you recommend hiring a full-time uh, headcount or working with contractors to get the process started? What, any advice here? Uh, I've never um, really hired contractors. Uh, generally, I, I see the benefits and the advantages of that. Um, what I've done is I've kind of tried to hire somebody. If I'm starting out specifically, you want to hire somebody who can come in and get really intimate with the data, um, who can who has some experience, maybe not even in people analytics, but in analytics in general, can bring some of those best practices to the organization and can help you run the operations of your team, right? Because you, you have a lot of administrative things you have to do. Um, so you want somebody that can do that for you. Now, if you're at a point where you've grown by one or two people and you know what you want to accomplish, you just don't have the bandwidth to do it, that's where I feel like hiring contractors is helpful because you bring them in to execute something and they're kind of done, right? Or they might consult on, an, on a strategy that you're going to do, but that's about it. However, when you have someone in-house that's working on this, you can kind of get really intimate. If you work together, you can find a groove, you come to agreement on the strategy and you try to push it forward. But when you need things just to get done, I think that's where you're hiring external contractors or part-time work is really beneficial. Love it. Love it. And we, well, depending on the answer, we have time for one or two more questions. So I'm going to keep, keep running through these. Um, the next question is, what do you think is the biggest problem within HR? And from a people analytics, what are you trying, you know, what are the things that you're trying to solve for? So what do I think is the biggest problem with HR? Yeah, within HR related to people analytics, I'm guessing it's kind of yeah. A... Um, uh, I'm trying to think because I've had like these two different varied experiences with my HR organizations. Um, I think in some ways the biggest problem is trying to prioritize where do we kind of play. I think um, my previous organization, organization, I think that was a bit of a struggle first initially was where do we play for HR, right? In general, like how do we impact the larger business problems? And then from people on Lakes, where do we support that? I think um, as time has gone on, even my previous and my current organization, that became a little more clearly defined. So I think figuring out ways to kind of get things to people in a timely manner. Um, and as people analytics, I think what, uh, what we always try to do too is become that single source of truth for all things analytics. So um, anybody comes and asks my leader for things and she points them directly to me, anything data related, which is extremely helpful. So having that kind of relationship with your leader to be able to kind of do that will help you understand um, how to better serve folks, but it also gives you the authority to kind of say, this is how we're going to measure things now because there's too many hands in there figuring out how this is how we do this. People are just being real scrappy and whatever they're doing. So they'll download data from the HRIS and they'll come up with their measure and they're omitting a lot of things that they might need to. So bringing that together in like the people analytics field will help solidify your metrics. And then you have to document, document, document to explain why. Um, because people will come and ask me, hey, I pulled this, but my number's off by three compared to yours. What's the difference? And if I don't know how to explain that, that's a problem. And so I need to be able to explain that to them and then document it so that way they can reference it later. And hopefully they'll just realize, listen, I need to stop pulling this stuff on my own because it's actually a lot of work to get it looking the way the people analytics team does, right? But people are scrappy in, in HR and they're going to do it and get it done the way they can, which I get. I think that's business in general. But the more you can kind of bring that together in one centralized location, it would be better. Love it. I love it. And I think that, uh, well, unfortunately, we're at time. And I think that is also a perfect way to end the conversation for today. And so I just want to thank everyone for joining us today. I've had a lot of fun talking about uh, the topic of people analytics. Um, if before we wrap up, Adrian, how can if our audience, you know, wants to kind of learn more, 
Uh, I'm assuming they can find you on LinkedIn, maybe, you know, find some of your stuff on, on you know, Googling GitLab, because I know you guys are, are open source. Um, you know, would you be, would you be open to, uh, to follow-ups if there are any, any future questions around people analytics? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, as Steven said, we have our handbook that's uh, open source to everybody in, in the world. So if you want to go to the GitLab handbook, we're building out our people analytics function, our section there. So that's going to be kind of evolving over time with some of the things we want to put in there, some, you know, good use cases and some, um, uh, you know, some, some quick wins we've had. Uh, but absolutely reach out. I'm more than happy to give access to, or ideas as to what resources. There are a lot of books out there that will talk about this stuff, but there are some that are very practical and technical, some that are kind of broad, just talking about general things. So more than happy. So please reach out to me on LinkedIn or anywhere else. All right. Well, thank you so much, Adrian. Uh, that's a wrap. Awesome. Thanks. Bye, guys. It was a pleasure, Stephen. Thank you. Take care. Bye.